Jesus, it says in 2 Timothy 4 to preach in season and out of season. And God, I feel out of season today. But I know that it also says that when I am weakest, you will show up the strongest. And I ask that you will show up and speak through me today that we will be reminded that your resurrection is a victory and that evil and sin are defeated, and not just the people here who need to hear that, but the, the dark powers and the rulers of this present world need to hear that and be reminded that their kingdom is wasting away and your kingdom is coming soon. Thank you for coming back and bringing life with you. Amen. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's the title of... Harold, Rabbi Harold Kushner's best-selling book, originally published in 1981. It's remained in print ever since. And that question is extremely personal for me. Why did Darby and I get placed with a little girl for adoption, fall in love with her, and then within days of the parental rights deadline, have her snatched away from us? Now, I know some of my cold theological friends you know those people who are just too religious for their own good? They'll be like, there's no one good, Alex. Like, there's none good. No one's righteous. No, not one. They're always really fun at parties. You know that people, when you're really hurting, and they're like, just be reminded, there's no good people. Um, we're all sinners, they might tell me, and we should be thankful for any good in our lives. But I think I know what we're saying or what we're trying to say when we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We're asking why do some people who seem like the best of us face some of the worst, most painful things in life while some of the worst people on earth seem to be living it up? Now, I'm not claiming to be one of the best of us. I think if you got real close to me or you know me pretty well, you've seen me say and do some stupid things. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm foolish. Uh, but I think a good argument can be made that if any random person came and lived with Darby and I for a while or watched our lives like a sitcom, they would consider us decent human beings. No one would look at our lives and say they deserve that. So why did this happen to us? And a lot of you have probably asked that same hard question about your life. Why did I pray and I still saw my loved one die? Why did I pray and pray to be married and I'm still single? Why did I pray and pray to have children and I'm still childless? Why did I beg heaven not to lose that child or, and yet they died? Or why has my desperately desired dream never come true? Why, God, why? One of the things I appreciate about the Bible is it doesn't shy away from hard questions like this. For instance, in Job, it says, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they grow old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from fear. God doesn't seem to punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. They let their children frisk about like lambs without any cares. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with tambourine and harp. They celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and they go down to the grave in peace, and yet they say to God, go away, we want no part of you and your ways. And in Psalms it says, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered, I've always been close to death, I have borne your terrors, I am living in despair. Your wrath seems like it's sweeping over me, your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood, they have completely engulfed me. 
You have taken from me my every friend and neighbor. Darkness is my only friend. Have you ever felt like that, that darkness is your only and closest friend? I know I have a few times the last few weeks. Okay, the Bible doesn't hide from this painful reality, but that still doesn't answer our question, why do bad things happen to us? There are two major answers in Christianity. One is simple, but I think it's unhelpful when you're suffering. One is more complicated, but I think is a little bit more helpful. Um, But it's, as my seminary professor used to say, it's really easy to have good theology about pain when you're not experiencing any. But we're going to try to walk through these answers today. Many Christians either believe suffering is caused by God or they think it is caused by sinful free will and the enemy of God, the devil. So first, let's talk about the simple, but what I think is unhelpful answer when someone's hurting, don't give them this answer. When something really terrible happens, there will always be someone who says, it's all part of God's plan. Trust his plans, he's in control. Or the even worse cliche, he has something better for you, that's why he's hurting you so bad. This kind of thinking comes from the Reformed or Calvinistic circles of Protestant Christianity. It's based in a belief in deterministic sovereignty. And we see this kind of thinking all over our culture, right? Insurance plans have a clause in it. If there's a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake, what kind of clause is it called? What's that? An exclusion, yes. It's an act of God clause, sometimes it's called. Yeah, the, the more technical term is exclusion. You're absolutely right. An act of God, like a tornado or earthquake, why do we assume it's God who destroys people's homes? That doesn't sound like Jesus. I believe God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean he controls every bad thing that happens to you. It means he gets the final word. No matter how badly we entangle the plot line, God will bring the story to his preferred ending. The people who usually believe that evil things that happen to you are caused by God usually live relatively safe, comfortable, and happy lives. There's a reason that this theology is prevalent in the rich first world Western countries, and it's not very popular in some of the remotest or most difficult third world countries on earth. This theology doesn't work in a third world country where suffering and difficulty are a part of daily life. This kind of thinking doesn't work if you were sexually abused as a child, or you suffered a terrible heartbreak like losing a child. To say that that is the hand of God is evil. To claim that those things are the work of God is, in my mind, blasphemy, a complete misrepresentation of who God is and what he's like. In deterministic sovereignty theology, we're usually told that we're too small and simple to understand God's grand design and how our pain and suffering will serve some unknown higher purpose. Um, Many times when I sit down and I talk to people who don't believe in God, I've started asking them this question, will you describe the God you don't believe in? Usually what they begin to describe is a God that I don't believe in either. They describe a God who brings evil and ruin, a God who ignores our pain and suffering, a God that is to be blamed for the evil in the world and the evil in their lives. Apple founder Steve Jobs actually went to church until he was 13 years old. His parents faithfully attended a Lutheran church. And when he was 13, he brought an article from Life magazine into Sunday school about children starving in Africa. And he asked his teacher, does God know what is happening to these kids? And she assured him, yes, God absolutely knows. God knows everything. And Steve Jobs asked this, why isn't he doing anything if he knows something? And the Sunday school teacher, and this answer 
took Steve Jobs away from Christianity and for the rest of his life had him pursue other spiritual paths looking for truth, this is the answer she gave. God knows, but we have to trust God's plan. He never went back to church after that. And how many people have walked away from God because when they see the most horrific pain and suffering in the world, we've claimed it is the hand of God. Who wants to reach for the hand of a God that's covered in the blood of innocent children? Easter reminds us that Jesus' hands aren't covered with our blood, but with his blood. He lays down his life to rescue us. He doesn't wield his power to bring ruin to us. He saves us from ruin. The church in America has been good at teaching us to memorize nice-sounding answers that don't stand up to the worst, most painful realities of life in this broken world. I think saying the horrible tragedy that befell you is God's plan makes God into a monster that is impossible to love or follow. It makes God into someone who doesn't look and act like Jesus, and Jesus claimed to be the clearest representation of what God was like. So that brings us to the other option. The more complicated answer, but I think the more helpful one. People have free will, and there is an enemy in charge of the present world. In Daniel chapter 10, an angel appears to Daniel, and this is what he says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is such a weird passage. But Daniel prays, and he's like, God, I need an answer, and there isn't any answer for 21 days. And then this angel, this divine messenger, shows up, and he says, hey, God heard you at once. He sent me at once, and I was intercepted by a dark spiritual power in the region. I had to call in more reinforcements, and there was this whole battle going on before we could bring you an answer. So is the dark spiritual force stronger than God? No, of course not. But the world right now is in rebel hands, and God isn't going to fully dismantle all their authority, lest some of us be swept away with their dark spiritual force kingdom notice what jesus said in the lord's prayer in matthew 6:10. your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven why are we praying for god's will to be done on earth if what happens on earth is already what god wants or not we should pray and work for god's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven the assumption is that not everything that happens on earth right now is what god wants in heaven, in Jesus' kingdom, everything that happens within his domain is according to his plans and purposes, and he has come to retake this rebellious kingdom and bring it back under his good rule. Okay, not convinced yet? Here's some more verses. John 14. I will not say more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love my father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come now, let's leave. This is Jesus talking, and he refers to the ruler of the world not as his father, but as the devil who was coming to kill him. Matthew 4, this is during the temptation of Jesus. The devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus' response is really interesting. He doesn't say, you don't have the power to do that, devil. You're not in charge of those. God's in control. It's God's plan. No, what does Jesus say? I only worship my Father. He doesn't say, you don't have the authority to do that. He says, no, I only worship my Father. John 12, 
now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, I will be lifted up from the earth, and I will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying the death he would die. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Our world is ruled by dark, dark spiritual forces. That means God isn't the one causing you the pain. He's the one who wants to rescue you by defeating the kingdom that is and restoring his Eden, Eden kingdom on earth. In the words of Dallas Willard, when trouble does come, the important thing is to understand God is against it. He is not for it. We have to recognize a part of the strategy of God's enemy for destroying you is to make you feel isolated and alone and to push you off and think, make you think God does not care. It does not God does not hate you, but there are dark spiritual forces at work in our world who currently are in charge of the kingdom that is, who do hate you for the very reason that God loves you. And finally, we have to talk about free will. Sometimes people choose to make other humans suffer. And we have to wrestle with God's role in that because people will sometimes say silly things to me like, couldn't God have created a world where people can choose to love, but they can't choose to do evil? Like a world without evil, but we're still not robots and can choose to love him and others. Dallas Willard would call this question something that sounds intelligent, but is actually contradictory. Like asking a janitor, did you both mop and not mop the floor? Or asking, is the sky both up and down? It's a nonsensical question. C.S. Lewis answers this question like this. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Then why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of robots, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely voluntarily united to him and each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and woman on earth is mere milk and water and for that people must be free so does this make god powerless that was rabbi kushner's conclusion in his book if you read it why do bad things happen to good people he says god is good and loves you but he's just he's weak he can't do anything about it he's powerless in Rabbi Kushner's mind, God cared but wasn't powerful enough to do something to stop the pain. It certainly feels that way sometimes when you're in the midst of your pain and you're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? With devils and deviants running amok and it's him seemingly doing nothing to stop them? No, I do not think God is powerless because he has done something. Because in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and ascension, he destabilized the kingdom of darkness and it is passing away. The kingdom of heaven is rushing in. The rule and reign of Jesus where he sets all wrongs right is coming. And his rule and reign will be so good it will work backwards to unravel the worst, most painful moments of our lives. Anything lost will be found. Anything sacrificed will be restored a hundredfold. Darkness will dissolve to light. And second, Jesus' mission 
was also to change deviants into disciples, to invite people to stop contributing to the kingdom of darkness and become citizens of his coming kingdom, to willfully use their free will for good. What I really want God to do is to control evil people who make decisions that hurt me and hurt those that I love. I want him to control them and make them make other decisions. I want God to control everybody else so that they don't hurt each other or hurt me, but I want to be free myself. But God doesn't control any of us. God is much more interested in influence than control, changing our root desires and not just our outward behaviors. He wants us to become agents of love, not mindless puppets or robots. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament is this epic tale of dysfunction and suffering. Joseph is the favorite son and the youngest, and his older brothers are so sick of him getting all the attention and lording over them. And they sell him into slavery, they fake his death, and he's taken to Egypt, and there he's falsely accused and imprisoned. And then through a bunch of random events, he becomes the second highest ruler in Egypt and oversees a massive project to save the nation from a coming famine. In that famine, his very brothers who betrayed him come down to Egypt looking to buy food for their family. They don't even recognize him, but he reveals himself to them, and they are terrified. Because now the brother that they betrayed is in the position of power and has the ability to betray them. And this is what Joseph says at that moment in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good. It intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God doesn't cause suffering, but he promises to never waste our suffering. What the devil intends for evil, God brings good. What people intend for evil, God brings good. And on the cross, Jesus suffered the ultimate evil so that God might bring the ultimate good. God doesn't cause your misfortunes, but God will bend evil over on itself to bring good out of your misfortune. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean it isn't cruel. It isn't heartbreaking or it isn't evil. It just means we can take heart that God won't let evil have the last word in our story. So why did this bad thing happen to me? Why did this bad thing happen to you? Why did this bad thing happen to the people we love and we care about? We don't have answers. I would love someone to just come down and spell it all out. Voltaire, the philosopher, said, you can endure any suffering if you have a clear explanation of why you suffer. I don't have good answers, but I know when something bad happened to the best person ever, Jesus, it resulted in good for the entire world. And I have to believe that when bad things happen to me, Jesus will bring good to others through my pain, just like he brought salvation to the world through Jesus' pain. The deeper my pain, I know the more profound the good will be in context because he brings good out of evil. But all this talk of theology won't really help you when you're hurting, when your heart is breaking and you can't breathe. Some people in those agonizing moments will say they don't believe in God anymore, and I certainly understand that feeling. Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And grief feels like you have been forsaken by God. It's normal and okay for you when you are hurting to cry out and ask God, Why, God? Why? Why did it have to be like this? Why didn't you intervene? But if you renounce God, if you don't believe there is a God, 
that material world is all there is, it doesn't make suffering go away. It just lets suffering have the final say. At least with Jesus, he promises a resurrection, a restoration of what our suffering stole from us. In the depth of our grief these last few weeks, I just cried out in agony and pain, and I said, fine, Satan, you win, I give up. But Satan doesn't win. Satan didn't win. He was defeated on the cross. He's in his death throes. His kingdom is sinking underneath of him like quicksand. And Jesus, when everyone had given up all hope, rose up out of the ground and claimed victory over sin and death and the devil. They are defeated and done. My dreams. The last few weeks, my dreams have died. My hope has died. My joy has died. But I serve Jesus, the God who was dead, who now is alive forever and ever. I serve Jesus who resurrects the things that have died. Because of his death, we can live his life. Because he lives again, we need not fear death. If he lives, our hopes, our dreams, and our loves will live again too. In the darkest places of life, when it feels like all light has gone from the world, when every breath feels like torture, we can hope because the dark night of the soul is not something God is doing to you. It is something that Jesus is rescuing the world from. He is alive and he is making all dead things alive again with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you that you are alive today. That death and sin and the devil are dead and dying and going away. In this world, there is war and there is famine, there is racism, there is grief and suffering. But God, this world is going away and a new world is coming. Your Eden kingdom is coming back. Jesus, we pray, come. Come quickly, Jesus, and set all wrongs right. Come back and bring our loved ones back to us. Come back and bring our dreams back to us. Bring our hope back to us. Bring our joy back to us. You are the resurrected king, and we await full resurrection for this world.